a happy a pride and a happy uh, season five, episode nine to you. It is our June cast. And I am Nick Mahalik, as always, joined by my good buddies, one Daniel DeFranco. Good afternoon, or morning, and or evening. <laughs> Wherever you may be. Um, oh, and we are uh, transcontinental in this novel, so good on you. I like that. Uh, Nick Gregorio, say hello. Oh, hi. It's nice to see you. One Viewer. Der. Full. <laughs> uh Let's do it, guys. So we are season five, episode nine. This is a Nick Mahalik cast. Um, chose these for both the month, and they are, um, I think, really well intertwined, especially the record and the novel here. We've chosen James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room. Uh, we are listening to M. 83's Hurry Up We're Dreaming uh, <laughs> could not there is not a better title to an album to go with this fucking book in my opinion um, and the uh, the beers that, that I picked up uh, we got the classic French Cronenberg 1664 um, and the French Canadian Unibrow Ephemere and I haven't had that in a long time I'm real excited for that I'm very excited for that. Yeah, um, it's that's super fruity as well. Uh, and the reason being, and we'll get into it a little bit more, of course, the, the novel has them drinking in France, Paris specifically, quite a bit of wine. So we wanted to get some some fruit nation in there uh, in some way. Nick, uh, tell, tell the folks what you got. I have uh, Imprint Beer Company's um, newest schmoogie, which is a line of heavily fruited sours. This one's called Pop Punch. It tastes like Hawaiian punch and is as thick as a smoothie. Um, do you have to supply your own jism or do they give that to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why is it? Th- well, we'll talk about it when we get to the beer section. Yeah. God damn it. Um, <laughs> I'm always so interested with your intros here. Uh, so that is what we're going to be looking at today for season five, episode nine. Um, and we have this just fantastic author in James Baldwin, which um, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to stick to our usual time, I think, for him and, and for, for this novel. But we will absolutely do our best. Um, and in honor of, of him, uh, the late, great Mr. Baldwin, uh, he is on the back of my edition of Giovanni's Room anyway, um, uh, compared to uh, Van Gogh. Uh, as a uh, 20th century artist saint. So he's the 20th century's artist saint. So I am going to introduce these gentlemen uh, as artist saints. If I were to introduce uh, Daniel DeFranco and Nick Gregorio as as artist saints, how would I do it? And of course, these are, um, in my opinion anyway, when I think of an artist saint, you know, like those guys that, that, that can't help but do the thing that they do and they come along like once um, in a in a gen- generation, usually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I happen to find two gay artist saints for these men. Daniel, you would be Oscar Wilde, my friend. Oh, I love it so much. 
I think he suits you quite well with the humor and the uh, <laughs> pomposity. <laughs> I, I, I would say the 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 affinity for dandiness. Um, I, I just think I just think it's it's so well suited, and the brilliance, of course, and the brilliance. The cherry on top is is surely the brilliance. Um, so yeah, you you my friend would be Oscar Wilde, and Nick Gregorio, you would be David Sedaris. Oh, man, that's that's terrific. <laughs> I, I, I think that he is he is uh, one of those guys that has this focus on fun and is able to also turn your head um, while uh, sort of like I, I would say diverting your attention with the fun and then makes you see something else, which um, which I think is, is um, you know, what kind of makes him the artist saint as well. He has this just beautifully checkered past and everything like that, which I'm not sure that that part goes, not nearly not nearly as that, checkered but that's what checkered. makes him i think that's what makes him the 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 uh the artist saint though because yeah. he 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 has always been uh the owner of it so yes that, that's how i'd introduce you guys daniel Love oscar it. wilde and of course nick uh mr sedaris i like that Love um it. so mr mahalik if i was to introduce you as an artist saint i'm going with sir paul mccartney nice um, uh, dude, Ram is so good For two reasons um, One is because you're very impish and whimsical <laughs> <laughs> Love it <laughs> Love it And uh, two, there's a theory that the Beatles die in the order of uh, coolest to least coolest <laughs> And he's going to outlive everybody and you're a fucking dork So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Big fucking dork. I will own it all day. Nice. I love it, dude. Um, yeah, I dude. Very moon delight. Let's get into Ram, it. Ram is good. Ram is so good. Um, I I I listen to it way more than I ever thought I would mm-hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. It's fucking great. Um, let's do it. Let's jump in. So. We are talking about Giovanni's room. It is, uh, of course, uh, Baldwin's second novel. He's a, a incredibly interesting cat. He, of course, is one of the baddest dudes I think ever to walk the planet. Um, just the the assuredness that he had throughout his life from the youngest age. I mean, he started writing his first novel when he was seventeen. Uh, that's that Buildings Roman. Uh, that's um, you know the first the first one that he has um, published, which is "Go Tell It on the Mountain," uh, and you know a, a couple. I think it's two years later he he's publishing Giovanni's Room, which is uh, focused on a homosexual relationship between two men in Paris, an American and an Italian. And uh, Baldwin is pretty big by this point, but his uh, publisher refuses to put it out because uh, it is 1956, and they are bigoted so they uh they say no and he has to find another one the thing that blows my mind the most is that at age 24 he leaves america to just go live in france um and so throughout i think his in- entire au foie, if you will um there is this over uh, there's this there's this very um i think fascinating connection to the inherent sort of like connective tissue of the human experience he has 
all these things that he covers, but you can relate to all of it, whether you identify with it or not. And that, that to me, I don't know if you guys would agree, is one of the biggest things that comes out um, when I read James Baldwin is like, wow, this is a guy who, you know, is, is we claim him as American, yet he lives the majority of his life in France and abroad elsewhere. And yet he can just crush what it is to be American and crush what it means to be othered and all this other stuff. And so um, I wanted to start by asking you guys opinion on uh, James Baldwin and what you feel about him as, as the author and the man first, and then we can get into the novel. I'm into it, man. Um, I've only read Sonny's Blues, and if he wrote poems, I probably read a couple of those. He Did he write poetry? Not really. He was okay. more of an essayist if he was going right. to do something well, then, other than fiction. Then it, was, then it was just probably that short story. He did. Maybe did an you, essay. You, you strike me as someone who's, who saw If Beale Street Could Talk. Did you see that? I haven't yet. Oh yeah, they they turned his, that novel into a movie, uh, which is fantastic. I think it the won movie was terrific. Award. Yeah, it did. It was wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's his. Um, that has well. um, uh, Mahershala Ali, right? Mahershala Ali, right? That guy. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. <laughs> uh, in any case, continue, Daniel. I didn't mean to yeah. No, this was a real treat because he's one of those guys that, you know, he's a giant and I just had never had occasion to read him. And then um, I yep. s last fall, I was like, all right, it's fucking time. <laughs> and so I had this and I, you know, I started reading this last fall and then you, I saw that you picked it for, um, you know, the season. So it was, it was really good, good timing. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I like it, man. I'm really, really glad. And I am, I mean... Once we start talking about the work, I've got more to say, but I am into this shit, man. It's Absolutely. Really good. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm glad to hear it, man. It's it's funny how many of his like peers and friends um, like loved to talk about him mm -hmm. in this way of like the way you'd speak about a soothsayer or a prophet or something like that. Yeah. Um, I watched a bun bunch of interviews and it, it is really fascinating when you look at like what year it was that he was being interviewed and what the fuck he's saying and how goddamn relevant like that you could not have your finger more to the pulse of America for one, but also the human experience in this in this very ah, just such a profound way of what it means to be othered, what it means to be in a lower class, like all of it, mm -hmm. um, the whole social structure. He, yeah. he really knew um, so well. Nick, was, what, what do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I was going to say I was more of a Richard Reitman um, mm. Yeah, because they were contemporaries, and that—that that seemed he, to be he, in, in my studies. That's where it kind of. He wrote about of, him quite a bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. he has a few essays about him, I believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. On. Absolutely. Good guys. Yeah. Um. So this is my first Baldwin. <laughs> um. Of course, I've seen clips of him speak and knew of him, and also, I mean, if Beale Street Street could talk was uh, one of my favorite movies that came out a few years ago. Yeah, what was that 2019? I think 2018. I think so. Yeah, maybe 18 now. Oh my god. Um, but that was terrific. I I thought this was wonderful. Um, I was like, it was like the first page. It's one of those books where you pick it up and you're like, this is insanely readable and it's fucking great. Yeah. Um, and I just wrote on from there and it, actually like this is the first book that I was I've been able to finish in the last two months 
Um, and I did it relatively quickly and, um, it was, a it was terrific. And I'm, I'm glad that I was able to get back onto the proverbial horse. Well, I'm glad this was the one to, to welcome you back to the reading world. Oh, hell um, yeah. Did it light your fire? You're ready to read more? Oh, baby. Big time. Uh, now, do you have the same edition as us? This one right here? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about 168 pages, dear listener. Um, it's, um, it's really not a, a, a super long book. I will say, like, you can fly through it. You can take your time with it. Like, it doesn't – It, you know how some authors will really – the pace of it is completely governed by them? Mm-hmm. Some of these, I would argue, most of these lines, passages, can be super dense if you let them. Yep. And so I found myself dwelling uh, quite a bit. Like, I, I think, you know, to echo what Nick kind of said, like – the from page one to about 50 i think i was flying because i was consuming something new and really really into it and it tasted delicious and then i started going oh god damn it i have to talk about this and there's so much there's no way i'm going to be able to if i don't start noting the things that i need to note um you know so so that was that was something for me that that really struck me in the beginning there was i was like oh my god i really gotta i really gotta like slow myself a little bit and so i i I did finish early and then i went back and just digesting some of these passages and and how he is taking you know you have like these cormac mccarthy guys right that will do similar stuff in in their writing really readable but like cormac mccarthy and writers of that elk will always throw in these like very verbose phrases with very very just like super odd and i don't know academic vocabulary for lack of a better description you know what i mean mm-hmm. and 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 you gotta look and, and this that and a third baldwin's able to do the same thing without making you feel less than and that was one of the first things i don't know as from a writing perspective i'm not sure that i really wanted to start there but in any case from a writing perspective this felt like a brilliant writer who is able to do this really difficult thing, which is to make you not feel like a fucking idiot when you're reading this incredibly profound work. I don't know. Did anybody else feel that too? Um, yeah. I mean, the, it was not, not accessible. You didn't have to be a learned, um, I don't know, grammarian, you know, or whatever. Some of those, the thousand words, well, I guess we all know a thousand was not there's not a high number of words. No, I can't believe you said a thousand. There's there's like six figures. Yeah. My my five year old knows a thousand words. <laughs> um so he often uh there was a lot of stuff in French. And Yes, that's so true. my my question for you, uh since it's sort of on that same point is is how'd you guys handle that? I know I know for me I know enough French to not understand any of the things that were in French. <laughs> it's like, oh, I know that word means that. And I just, it just yep. really hung me up and I had to try to translate it all. I kept my phone next all to of me. It? Um, every, every time I had, yeah, I had to each time. I kept my phone next to me and did the same because I found myself doing the same. I probably know far less French than you, um, but I knew I knew that word and I could not, even with context, like I knew it was probably something that I, I, wanted to know to carry on but i didn't need necessarily to know 
um, you know, exactly what it was. But yeah, I kept my phone next to me for that. Yeah, and you probably didn't need to even, I mean, you probably didn't, we didn't need to look these up every time because everything else was in context. But anyway, the only reason I brought that up is, is, is for accessibility purposes. I'd encourage, you know, a reader, if you were going to read this, either, you know, don't look it up or, or I don't feel like anything would really be lost if you didn't. If you just kind of let yeah, that experience. I don't think it would be lost. Yeah. Did you, were you looking up, Garoyal? Um, rarely. Maybe once or twice. It, it, I, there was enough context yeah. to not necessarily have to. And I kind of liked um, feeling like a stranger in a strange land. Um, like sure. someone speaking a, a, a different language and I'm just there for the ride. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And a lot of it does take place in an altered state. You know, there's a lot of drinking. Mm-hmm. So like, it's almost like you're at the bar watching this go down because yeah. it, that, that, that to me was sort of the scene that he sets often. And I guess what I was speaking about more with the language and I put one of these lines down here is um, uh, my belly absolutely cold with terror over the mm-hmm. question of my life. Like that's one of those lines, which there, there's nothing, you know, uh, academic about the language there, nothing sort of over anyone's head with the language there. But to put it together in that way, it just strikes a direct and intentional chord. You know, like yeah. at, at some point there's there's been that coldness in, in everyone's belly. And to use the word belly, like all the choices, mm-hmm. I think compound to, to, to really, I think, demonstrate oh, just what he's able to do um, with the language. It's fucking incredible. He's a brilliant writer. It's like the writing is so artful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would agree there for sure. Um, so I guess one of the one of the first things in terms of like theme and idea and stuff that I wanted to look at um, beyond the writing, I, I have another thing, but we can get back to that. Is like this focus throughout of sort of like the unsaid expectations and silent social contract, you know, especially regarding like sexuality and and um, you know masculinity that goes throughout this. Um, that was really astounding to me, especially knowing that it's published in 1956. So we're talking about like 65 years ago. Um, it's shocking that this got published, frankly. Like, right. Uh, and b- he, written by a black man about a homosexual relationship in 1956. Yeah. And, and, and of course, like this is this is one of those things when I was looking at it, too, and and. Um, I think I mentioned on on the thread or whatever about that that interview that came out um, where it's it's just it's absolutely still prevalent. Like he talks about it near the end of the novel as well, that there is um, this thing where the rest of society like lets them exist to a degree. And and if they if they they put at it all, then they're just they're despised and they can be immediately um, chopped off at the knees and, and, and left mm. to die, you know? Um, and, and that's just something like he, he just nailed that, that feeling of, of knowing that you, you, you're al- almost that you're allowed to exist, but you have to monitor yourself. You can't mm. fully, fully be yourself. And, you know, I, I just, I felt that right, right in the core. I don't know. What do you guys think about that, that theme of like, him addressing those things do we think he does it well do we think he 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 um you know if, i don't know fucking is still relevant with what he's talking about there um 
So, so first thing, um, he couldn't actually get this published. His publisher didn't want to publish it. He had to go yeah. to Europe. So it got published in, I think, England. I think was what the interview said. Yeah, because the the publisher that was his for uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain and um, uh, his his nonfiction uh, piece that came right after that, which was um, you know Notes of a Native Son, which mm -hmm. is, I think that's what actually catapulted him um, to to the fame that he had in the beginning there. Uh, yeah, they refused to, yeah. to publish so it. He did have to, um, you know, look elsewhere. Uh, so as far as the wait, what was your question? <laughs> what? Do we think that he's doing it well? And yeah, okay, we I got it. It's still relevant, you know. I picked it back up. Picked it back yeah. up. That's actually, <laughs> it's actually one of my first notes here. Is this book feels so? The answer is yes. He did do it well, and it's still super relevant. This book seems so fucking modern. If you had yes. people mm -hmm. taking out their cell phones, then you'd be like, "Good, yep. we are in <laughs> 2019." Yeah. Yep. Well, it's it's that it's that thing, you know, like you have the 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 pseudo liberal middle aged white man saying like I'm okay with gay people as long as they're not throwing it in my face. Yep. Which character um, was that, Nick? <laughs> um, every dad. I oh. think he, 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 he was saying like he was generalizing like Oh, I thought yeah. you were talking about a that no, no, no. Still I, was, exists. I was That's talking about like today, like you hear that being thrown out. Yeah. Like like guys get weirded out like there's there's people that get weirded out by by like a two gay characters in a TV series kissing. Um, and they're like, oh, why do I got to throw it in my face? Well, they're not. Um, it's just a thing that exists and you hate it yeah. uh, and you can't handle it. And that's and, and going back to, to Nick's point about how modern this book is and your point about you could pull out a cell phone. You could literally put cell phones in this and it would take place today. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Um, but it's just I'm just drawing that line to it, it's people know it exists people know that gay people exist and they do not want anything to do with them and as soon as somebody pops their head out um from behind whatever these people think is the culturally acceptable wall yeah um they are immediately targeted yep absolutely i i really wondered like if this was something and he went, I mean, this actually goes even, even deeper because um, I, I read something where he said that he went to, to France because he saw the fate that um, young black men in America at that time, specifically young black gay men were suffering, which was, which was death. And typically it was by suicide, mm -hmm. you know, that, that it actually killed them to live in that, in that society. And, and, you know, I, I, I can't help but like this is one of those ones where I, I just wish I read it when I was younger because in, in a similar way, you know, like I'm not plugging it, but like I had to write a book to be able to just be like a bisexual man and say that and force myself to put it out, you know, and that that I wonder is him. He puts this out when he's 31 right mm -hmm. and when you see these interviews with him i wonder if it, and and when he's asked about it he's 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 so courageous you know what i mean and he doesn't have any sort of wavering he just says that this is something that needs to be said and it hasn't been yet so what the fuck's wrong with everybody is is essentially the thing and and when he's asked about his sexuality and stuff like that and and he was a gay man and he's he's very just upfront with like 
this was something that he did to save his own life because he saw himself as worth himself as worthwhile, you know, that he needs to exist and he should exist. And it's reading this. I just couldn't help but think of like, yeah, you're, you're essentially living where society is asking you to, yeah, you, you, you can be yourself, but you have to keep one arm, you know, sort of tied down. And, and you, 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 if you, if you want to, to untie that arm, you should probably go elsewhere because we don't want you around. Um, and, and that's, that's, um, I don't know. That was, that was one of the more moving things, um, to read this and know sort of like the backstory. So I don't know, does knowing who James Baldwin is, does that impact the read and this idea that we're talking about now of like what he's putting out there in, in, in terms of talking about the social contract, knowing how vocal he was and how just brutal, brutally honest he, he, he was about the whole thing. Um, I, I want, I mean, I could say yes and no, but my initial, my initial reaction is no, because I felt that this was more of a book that explored, um, I don't know, I guess like the depths of, of the human heart and the, the, the struggle and a, a, a character coming to terms with their bisexuality and, um, you know, like what they actually want in a partner and what they want for themselves yeah. and, and from the world. So you, I do feel like you could take all of the, the I mean, it's, it's really weighted. If you say, that's a, you know, this is James Baldwin, right? That yeah. comes with, that comes with a lot of shit. And exactly. Right? Um, if you take that out and you just read the work, you know, say in a thousand years, somebody reads this, this is, um, I think at its core, it's about the human condition, which is kind of a, a lazy cliche, but I mean, it, it is. <laughs> Could we take it a step further? Because that was going to be my next thing. Yeah. Would we call this, and I think we might need to give a little bit of summary to, to be able to do it, but would yeah, we call this uh, a love story? Do you know I, what I mean? Like 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 a tragic love story, a tragic romance. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I, I was so hesitant because that seems like it cheapens it. It does, but. <laughs> You're it, right. It, it doesn't. It does. <laughs> this this reminded me a lot of books that I've read that have come out after this, um, mm -hmm. such as what we did. What did we do in the cast? The uh, Jeanette Winterson just not not mm -hmm. long ago, um, oh. written on the body. Written on the yes. body, yeah. right? Um, I was reminded of that. And I have you guys ever read? We just read Salter's Solo Faces, but his other book, A Sport and a Pastime, takes place in France. And I was like, Ooh. is that his autobiography or like? No. Okay, I thought that was a memoir, but yeah, I guess I'm wrong. But I was like, oh, Mr. Salter, you appear <laughs> to have borrowed from Mr. Baldwin. <laughs> oh, nice. I mean, yeah, it, it is really so. So the summary of it is very simple. There's a, a man named David who has gone to France, um, and I believe he goes there initially with his fiance. And then she leaves to go to Spain. Mm -hmm. And while she's in Spain, essentially figuring out if, if he's for her, right, is, mm -hmm. is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Um, he uh, goes to a bar, and the bartender is Giovanni, and they have that immediate connection that all the older gay men and the young boys in the place, because that's the type of establishment that it is, um, 
not only recognize, but become uh, envious and jealous of, right? Um, and then uh, he and uh, Giovanni um, lived together in Giovanni's room until Hella, his fiance, uh, yeah. returns from Spain to him. Yeah, for a couple of months. That's that's pretty much it. That's the yeah, summary. That's really it, right? I mean, yeah. is there? Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think that again goes back to everything we've said. Is there is worlds within worlds there um that well i mean it's on. a book about i mean it's it you're mapping the interior of a life you know what i mean it's it's like you have the the summary and then the depths of what you get from the book yeah and it, it is to 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 say romance i think is actually really 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 accurate in fact because romance is suffering romance is euphoria right romance is sort of the extremity of human emotion um it, it wrapped up in in a neat little package we call a relationship mm-hmm. and so to see that is is kind of to to touch upon all these things so him choosing to frame it like that i think whether intentional or not it, it does exactly what he's looking for um and so when we're i don't know when we're thinking about it in that way um did 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 we feel connected do how about this let's reduce it <laughs> do we like david or giovanni more oh jesus that's not even <laughs> um, right but it's a good question i think well because i they're I, I, different yeah. characters can you yeah. not like either of them <laughs> i was gonna say i don't like david because he reminded me so much of me um of just you know you're you're searching for something you feel like you got it you literally use it to the extent that you feel you need to. And it is gross. Um, and then you're like, and then you start treating people like shit and treating people like um, they don't matter. And then you're on to the next person that you're going to abuse and, and, and treat like shit. And, and, and in the so, search of this, this love, whatever that happened to be. Dude, I love that you brought that up because do we think that's David or do we think that's because he's American? I would say it's because he's American. Yeah, dude, that's another one of the things that I highlighted is like, does David represent America? Because what Giovanni's major problem is with him, you know, beyond a, a few things, but the thing that he keeps coming back to is, Americans and they all say it Americans always leave they take what they want and then they and then they leave and it is a really it's just they they he highlights the disingenuousness of America and um, and Americans like this disgusting self-interest that actually dehumanizes the American like David doesn't realize that he's doing it to himself but him being American like it dehumanizes him because it cuts him off from the rest of the world because he fucking can't be trusted Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and there's the, I thought there's that was a, brilliant, man. I thought it was brilliant too. And there, there's, I mean, obviously, there's you know, as a as a man, there's a there's this Americanness about the way uh, we were brought up. That it was like you know, affection is for the weak. Um, you have a family because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you, you know, you buy, you break, you throw away. Yeah. Um, that's what America is and that's what David is and that's what to an extent I am and it's uh, it's powerful to have that reflected back in, in such a way. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, David is like really good looking. So don't think that uh, that comparison <laughs> over my head there, Gregorio. I'm a oh. handsome man. This knows you can't get much more better. You can't get better than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- that is funny too because that is also so American. The superficiality of it, the how how much emphasis and worth we place on looks. Yeah. Um, and again, this goes back to Baldwin's noticing this fucking sixty plus years ago, and and he's saying, you know look at us <laughs> you know david is us we are david look at us what the fuck yeah. guys i have a question for you um why do you think baldwin who was a gay african-american man who had to leave the country chose to make his protagonist um an affluent kind of blonde hair blue-eyed uh white guy because I, that's what america wa- is I, yeah. I think to do exactly what we were just right. saying yeah right to, to, to almost be like, hey, idiots, here's the metaphor. Yeah. Right. I, my, my, that was like, I was like, this is about a, a blonde haired, blue eyed, white, beautiful man. That doesn't um, know him. That doesn't know himself. And he's a liar, a pretender, right. a fraud. And he's, yeah. and he is a total fraud. And I, you know, and it, it didn't take long for me to be like, okay, I know what this is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nick, yeah. Nick made us, Nick made me read a mirror. well you know it it was so a lot of this was so powerful because i just i remember having very similar experiences as my younger self you know you finally have you finally get the person you're pining after Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the gunk of makeup in the corner of the eye really grosses you out and the smells um aren't as fragrant as they used to be and all of a sudden you're looking at this person who was beautiful and you're thinking there's got to be somebody better than this for me because look at me. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Nick, Dave, David accepted Giovanni. He wanted Giovanni. He didn't reject him. To a de- well, well, he rejected him because he uh, because of of Hella coming back. Right, he, and Hella was that was that American life was that nuclear potential for a nuclear family. Yeah, that what you're supposed to do. Right, but. He never thought that Giovanni was gross. They did talk about, you know, we got to keep it a secret. This thing is dirty, but it was yeah, never. Yeah, they put they they put paper over the windows. Yeah, but it was, it was never a they, personal thing against Giovanni. It wasn't. I think Nick, what you're talking about a little bit is that very American needing to upgrade and get better yeah. and do better. And 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 I I would agree with Daniel there, where I don't think right. that he's doing that with Giovanni here i think that it's actually this bigger thing which is that societal pressure that's actually changing david's um view of giovanni where he doesn't become ugly he doesn't become disgusted or disgusting but the he doesn't see a life he doesn't see a future right he doesn't see what the end game is and and that's really that was devastating to me because i'm like wow like he he recognizes love but love isn't enough to keep it aloft. Right. right. And I, I guess I should have clarified because my experience is only with women. And that's how he starts feeling about Hella. Once, once she's back, yeah. mm-hmm. he, she turns into a thing that he doesn't want anymore um, by just being what he thought he wanted her to be. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And she, oh man, there's that devastating scene where she literally goes, just tell me what you want me to be and I'll be it. 
Right. Right. She's like she she's broke. I mean, he breaks her. Yeah. Um. Uh, with disinterest. Yeah. And 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 that that's that's crazy because what's attractive about her is her confidence and her her just like I don't know. I'll go to Spain way. because I feel like it. Attitude. Because fuck you, and I'm gonna figure yeah. out what I want. You know, what exactly. I mean that, that very just like sort of like in control. And she's a woman from mm. Minnesota, right? At that point, you know. Oh, uh, hey there, Bobo. Like, hey, hey. Oh, from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, put put him in a wood chipper though. So it's like, wow. um, yeah, no, no, I, I, um, I, whew, geez, man, there, the, there is those moments that are just like we were saying before, so devastating. I guess that brings me to to another one of these themes that that like he he never really nails down though he he walks around it throughout the entire novel like this idea of home like Mm -hmm. what is home and i know that i think we've talked about this before in other books but this one especially struck me because i i never felt like there was any answer no i mean they i think they even say that um pretty plainly like giovanni says don't ever go to where you think home is because it's never it's actually never there it's not what you think it's going to be so if you never go you always have a home to go to which is you know what you know what the 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 real the real shame about that whole thing is that i was reading it and all of a sudden out of nowhere Bon Jovi's Who Says You Can't Go Home just starts beating my brain in and I wanted to just put my head through glass. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. That I mean, just talking about like the um, the white picket fence like uh, America, um, suburban America, like that's, that's it right there. And that's so funny that he's kicking it in 65 years later um, and, and it's, it's, it's happening in the, in the way that he probably intended. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's, wow. That's fucking, that's fucking wild. Um, so, um, there is one thing hanging over the whole book and that's, that's death. Like we know it mm. on the bottom mm-hmm. of page one. Yep. Yeah. Um, ba, 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 ba. yeah, bottom, uh, top of page two, I guess. I don't know. Something, somewhere around there. Um, Giovanni will be dead tomorrow. Like this is when yep. we're getting told the story at least until the very end where it kind of um, eclipses that moment. Um, Giovanni, we know, is locked up and is going to be executed by guillotine. And we don't know what for. Yeah, we don't know what for on page one, exactly. Yeah, we eventually do know what, what it's for. Um, yeah. And that, it, it, it's, it's, it's a dark cloud over the, their whole relationship. You know it's doomed. It's got that whole Romeo and Juliet, you know... Yeah, these motherfuckers are gonna die. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. very much like the Bard, Daniel. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's what he. I mean, it's, it's got the uh, you know the up, up, updated translation. <laughs> well, how can he? How you know what I mean? There's very few books that can do that. That mm-hmm. tell you, you know, that 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 have the uh, clown come out in the beginning, the chorus tell you what's gonna happen, and you sit through the rest because you want to know. You need, yep. And I, I think that what he's done there is, again, for me anyway, he's he's made you recognize that these men die all the time. 
mm-hmm. and you're interested because you don't know what it is that's going to contribute to their death, but they are expendable mm-hmm. and they are the other and they can be lost. Yeah. And, and you- that's how I felt in that beginning. I was like, Jesus Christ, because you, it's so different than if it were presented that this, um, I don't know, beautiful young woman dies. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you, you're, 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 you're feeling, you're conditioned to feel differently about uh, a, a beautiful man, a man, a gay man, whatever, knowing that they're going to die. You're going, well, it's, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Giovanni right. is of a class of, of boys that come from wherever to um, whatever we would call like the established Western world mm-hmm. looking for stability, work a new life, whatever it is, not whatever freedom, dude. Yeah. What's not the old world. And they are a dime a dozen and they end up, you know, what's, what's the, the one guy Jacques, you know, he, he hires these Jacques, he hires these boys to cook for him. And he, and he does, they do for like a few weeks until they realize, well, fuck, I don't want to do this. And then they disappear and they end up, all sorts of uh, uh, um, demise. They get yeah, they get it, they get used up, and then they're and then they're they're left, and and they're forever changed. Though that's the thing that really struck me is mm-hmm. is that that boys' masculine you know uh, norms or whatever say that you should be able to survive anything. Mm-hmm. You should be able to, to, to bounce back from anything. You should be stronger than that. Whatever that is, you should be stronger than. And that's what's being presented here. And, and there's no regard for them at all. Like, you should be stronger than it. You shouldn't have found yourself in that place to begin with. You shouldn't have this. You shouldn't have that. You shouldn't have that. You ruined it for yourself is almost the mantra for men. Yeah. You know, that you fucked up. And you should be better, and um, that that to me is is so loud in this book, um, because it never goes away. Those mm-hmm. boys are from page one through the end, um, yeah. And, and they're, da- they're that constant reminder of that. And David, as the surrogate for um, America, this is like a lazy um, thesis statement, but <laughs> you know, like David, David as representing America uh, goes and he uses those boys and spits them out. And then realizes, fuck, I am this. I am that which I do not want to look at. Oppressed becomes the oppressor and all that. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's 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 a few different different levels there. But I'll be that, teaching I'll be teaching that in a uh, comp one oh one uh <laughs> next next semester. <laughs> That'll get you a B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh that that whole that whole thing of of the expectation that you should the from the second you're out of the womb know better mm-hmm. um is 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 so fucking brutal and present throughout the entire novel um and and you see it in the father son relationship for david as well you know yeah. um when he's writing dad for that money that and, shit was fucked right well i mean yeah, so so what, so what do we think about that do we think that there's a commentary there being made by Baldwin with the father-son relationship, David and his dad. Yeah. <laughs> what, no, what I mean, you, like, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Expand. Well, I go back to my my relationship with my dad, right? My dad is, is always at an arm's length, 
You know what I mean? Incapable of like true deep affection. Incapable of seeing me as anything other than his boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying I have a bad relationship with my dad. I'm just saying my dad had a bad relationship with his and it stunted his emotional growth. And he... Um, he does he says similar things that this dad does you know what i mean he 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 does he says these shit like hey you're supposed to come home where's my grandkid you know what i mean it's 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 that it's that nonsensical masculine bullshit that ruined generations of boys Mm -hmm. yeah and has for thousands of years yeah 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 and it's 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 tough because i guess to go a little deeper my question would be do we think that david is essentially throughout uh the novel like really pursuant of the opposite of of that whole thing you know what i mean like he he actually is seeking joy and happiness and love and these different things and those are in direct opposition of the expectations that are set by him, by his right. father and by his society. So yep. uh, it, it's, it's wild to see how strong a hold it has. And I think there we, we wonder like, to me, I'm always really interested in, in frankly, the science of it. Like have we through that trauma of these thousands of years of indoctrinating men and boys in this way, um, to believe and think in this way, like have we really changed the DNA to such a degree that we can know something and our body or our body knows something, but our brain resists it to such a degree that we actually sabotage ourselves mm. um, you know over and over again like it is it is really, really difficult and it's tough right now, I think, especially, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation, but it's not a conversation that's really welcome i don't think you know because it's 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 you guys have you know men have always been dominating but this is the price that that you actually pay to to be in that position for that long is 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 you've you've created broken beings i don't know is that all over the place did that make any sense no that's that's exactly right Uh, you said it all man (laughs) fucking shit how many times is the cast gonna transition in that way? <laughs> oh, so that's the end so, of the novel section. Good job. Um, all right, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, so so David is a broken boy, right? He's like twenty seven, yeah. twenty eight by the end of the novel, something like that, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not. You know, he's expected to be a man, have a family, uh, you know, with a woman, have the kids, but. Really, he is just a confused, broken little boy. The same little boy he was in the beginning when his mom and dad got into a fight and the aunt comes in. Well, the mom, mm-hmm. I think, died, right? Yeah. Mom's um, dead, yeah. So the aunt is living there with yeah. him. Yeah. And, I mean, even when he was young, he knew that, uh, man, they don't know me. Yeah. You know, that was telegraphed from Chapter 1 that this, this character is is not going to be uh despite all appearances that he puts on he's not going to be fitting into somebody's mold yep yeah it it's heartbreaking to see the strength of a character 
be sabotaged by that same character. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that that was that was really heartbreaking for me because it's so difficult to root for somebody that, you know, is doomed mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, and, and it's their own doing. But to know that that's what we're conditioned to think as well, like you ruined it for yourself. You should have you should have this. You should have that um, is oh man. It's 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 horrific to think that like we can be in such an advanced society and yet be so so far away from anything resembling, in my opinion, an advanced society. <laughs> you know. So w- yeah. would you would you argue that um, this book is just as much about Giovanni as well and his experience? They mirror each other so well. Giovanni's yeah. just a step or two ahead of David. You know, Giovanni's already had the woman already had a child. Yeah. Right? Um, and and so I cover your ears, dear listener, uh, if you're at this point, because we lear- we learned that late in the book. of course. Yeah, but it's inconsequential to the, the, the page to page plot. Yes. Yeah. And there is something to do with the child that I won't you know, go into detail with. But but that moves him to France, essentially. Right. Yeah. They put the child into a pod and it goes to like this third planet from a sun where it's it kind of grow wild. and be strong uh, we can see <laughs> where the parallels lie with modern telling of story um, <laughs> no like uh daniel's lying to uh move us forward which is a good move um yeah Although, I, I'm, I'm always up for a good superman reference <laughs> <laughs> you probably just saw your tattoo and just ripped on it i bet good old jasmine okay you can always bet on a jasmine for that yep. um but yet, yeah, yeah, uh, that's what I think. I think Giovanni and David are are mirror images of one another. I think that um, Baldwin is presenting Giovanni as the more sympathetic character because he's more sympathetic to the old world. I think in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, and and that's why he presents Giovanni in the way that he does because the Giovanni, um, he's very understands mel- what it means to be human. I think a bit more, but he's very melodramatic. Yeah. Oh, he sure is. He's Italian, man. He, and that's what I was going <laughs> to... He's Italian. Hey, he's Italian guy. Yeah. What, what's but your problem, huh? But for real. For <laughs> real. I, you know what I mean? From There's three Italians on this call right now. Hey, look at this guy. And if we can, this guy's if over gonna, here saying, what's your problem? If we're going to be critical of Giovanni <laughs> and not look inward for a moment, I mean, come on. Only well, I mean, I, all I know is that Only like, sometimes I just want to put the back of... Like, Back in my hand and my <laughs> yeah. forehead, and just, oh dear me! <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, feed me a grape. Yeah, I uh, I almost did that the other day. Yeah, I I totally agree. <laughs> I really, and I I I think it's also some of Baldwin's humor, a, a little bit to sh- to show Giovanni, um, in in that sort of like dramatic light. To be yeah. honest with you, I don't know if it's intentional or not. To me, it was funny at times. And, you know, Giovanni is often, even though he is um, constrained by a lot of different things that David is not, he knows himself. Yes. And he is very free. So maybe that's that's, that's what also. makes him dramatic, though, because yeah. he knows it so much. Mm-hmm. He holds on to it like grim death. Yeah. And, and if that thing that he knows and, and is holding on to does disappear, then he he sees it as as a death as an end you know yeah. mm-hmm. um and we talk about i mean that's the thing you know uh to go back to nick's earlier point like dudes don't talk about mourning relationships 
your buddies will go go out and fuck five chicks. Mm-hmm. That's what they'll tell you. Go out and have sex a bunch after mm-hmm. you've broken up. Like when I mentioned, I remember like realizing that in my twenties at some point and saying it to a buddy, going, "Dude, you gotta mourn the relationship. You gotta." I literally, legitimately said that. I was like, "You gotta." You have to take time and mourn that, or you're going to be fucked for everybody else that you come in contact with, mm-hmm. and you try and be in a relationship with. Um, and they kind of don't. If you don't, you're like a fucking plague. You're a walking plague. You are. Which you're is going to just fuck with people. Most yeah. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Which right. is most dudes exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and 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 it was interesting because it was a particular friend that I think would actually and did actually kind of listen to it. Um, but I could imagine you know, a handful of others who, if I would have said that I probably would have got punched in the shoulder, slapped in the head, laughed at whatever, you know what I mean? Um, it wouldn't have been, it would have been the same kind of response. And that is one of those, that is one of those things where, where, uh, end of a relationship is a kind of death and Giovanni really knows that. And then of course is Italian. (laughs) There, there's no way that Giovanni could have lived. Like he had to have died. David That's needed, why he gives it to us on page one, man. Yeah, he needed David needed to be left with absolutely nothing at the end except himself. Yeah, because that's the only way uh, I guess America's gonna wake up is is if it, it needs to stare itself in the fucking mirror and not be able to look elsewhere. Yeah, I don't want to give away how what Giovanni did to deserve um, death. I think by- we've done a very good job of not doing it. So if you did it now, I'd be a little upset. Well, so we're not. not. <laughs> We've walked around. That is, he's Italian. The Italian comes out dead. again. Hey, you say anything about that fucking ending? <laughs> you'll fucking kill you. That's this, the, the, the Sicilian one in this trio is coming coming out quite a bit. Um, so he he died by guillotine for an unna- unmentionable event where I will not. Uh, and you know this from page one, dear listener. Yeah, that he does die. He gets beheaded by guillotine. Um, but what he should have gotten beheaded for. His biggest sin is when he's remodeling his apartment, and uh, I couldn't agree more. And he starts and he starts chipping away at the plaster. He's removing bricks, and he's taking bricks. <laughs> Giovanni, that could be a load-bearing wall. You can't, Jerry. Jerry, these are load-bearing walls. They're not gonna come down. What's he? That could be going Dude. to outside. He just wants Dude. to build a sunken bookshelf. He wants to build a sunken bookshelf. Oh my! And I, I empathized. With the need to build a sunken bookshelf yep. so strongly, but the fucking uh. realist uh, carpenter in me was like, what are you doing? Come on. He had some I, weird idea that it would be nice to have a bookcase sunk in the wall, and he chipped through the wall until he came to the brick and began pounding away at the brick. It was hard work. It was insane work. <laughs> yes. Jesus. Giovanni. <laughs> As an Italian, he should have known a thing or two about concrete. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Um, you don't chip through plaster. The plaster walls are rare anymore. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> final, my final thing on this, um, to wrap it up, because I think we've done a nice job here. And it's a writing thing. What did you guys think about in a single paragraph getting... Exposi- the non-linear writing here of, of getting a little exposition. You're in the future. You're in the past. Every sentence could be somewhere else. I, I was, I was blown away by that because I, I think that's one of the most that. difficult things to do. 
And holy shit, man, that was amazing. Where I'm like, oh, of course, of course, of course. Like, no paging back, no, you know what I mean? There are so few writers that can do it to the point where he, like, Baldwin does it. But when they do, you're like, what the fuck? Like, how could they do this? This is insane. And it's, like, enchanting because you're like... It is. Because it it can be sentence to sentence. It could be Mm -hmm. fucking... In a sentence, yeah. in a single sentence, he could do that. He yeah. could jump back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, that I wanted to end on that because I thought that was just like one of those really mind blowing things. And to know that it's only his second novel, yeah. And like, and uh, as a writer, you're like, you might not want to go for that if you're right. like, you're having somebody critique your work. You'd be like, because I can't do it, and <laughs> not not many can. Right, because it's it's not an easy thing to do whatsoever. Right. You know. Um, yeah, man, that that I I definitely want to make sure I made note of that because that was fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, were were these final thoughts? Is that what we were doing? That that was my final thought. Is like uh, in terms of I wanted to end on on for me the writing was actually beyond everything we've said. The the writing act was good. Totally, totally. Just um, I don't know. It it was I this whole book for me was inspiring extraordinarily moving and something I wish I read when I was younger. Yeah, I, I thought about the two and, um, you know, I'm only about, uh, I think, 17 years older than you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm I'm starting to, uh, I guess I'm really embracing something of a midlife crisis. Um, I know that there's going to be art that I'm going to come across that I'm going to, and this is one of it, one of them, that fuck i wish i would have read this when i was younger yeah and what the, mm-hmm. you know you can't go back no matter what bon jovi says <laughs> you know so it's true that was a beautiful time yeah. hey hey you got to live while you're alive i'm trying baby <laughs> um so my my final thought is more about the book the um themes more than the writing um i think at its heart this book isn't so much about um homosexuality and so much about America, although those things are definitely um, prevalent points in this book, but it's, you, you can't control how you feel, but what you can control is, is what you do with those feelings and then how you treat other people during mm-hmm. that process. And I felt that even though it's called Giovanni's Room, Giovanni is, I felt like he was something of a MacGuffin just to get David to have interactions with all these different people. Um, Mm. Because the most interesting parts of this book were the conversations David had with with Jacques. Like chapter three is a dynamite chapter. Just the conversation, and it comes out of nowhere. It's like, because you think Jacques is this creepy, you know, middle, like in his 50s, um, just... You know, fairy is what he's. It's how he's. I mean, described. that's how he's described exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fairy. But yeah. he's like, he's like, no, you know. And, and David's father even says this. I was once a young man too, and you know, it's just like wisdom, wisdom bombs that are just being dropped. And David doesn't really yeah. hear it. He doesn't listen to them. He doesn't want to hear them. Jacques is a really complex character, actually, and he, you know, he exists throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the employer of Giovanni. I thought was going to be a much more major player. Um, and he's like almost one of those guys who moves the plot forward where Jacques is, you know, one of those brilliant, 
little shining pieces that that, that yeah. actually yeah. Um, is where you get what's happening here. But I felt like when we really get to know David is not when he's with Giovanni, but rather when he has that conversation with Jacques, when he has that conversation with his landlady that's like kicking him out. Mm-hmm. You know, they have that moment of yeah. tenderness. Um, when he has the final, um, and this is my my uh, critique being critical here, is his melodramatic, maybe a little overdone kind of uh, row with um, with Hella at the end. Mm, you yeah. know, it's a little dramatic. The language, it, it definitely loses a little bit of the uh, verisimilitude, uh, the, the real, like the realness that the rest of the book had. Yep, yeah. I'd agree um, with that. I think we, to but to play, you know, whatever. Uh, I think we fall into that though sometimes when when we find ourselves in almost a stereotypical moment. Yeah. Yep. Like you fall into the trap of like movie dialogue. Yeah. Not yeah, as writers, I, I mean, like as people, like. Mm-hmm. In yeah, yeah, way. no, I know, but um, as a writer, we get to be our best versions, and that's my one critique. You are v- v- and correct. And it's not a. Um, and I would never say it's shit because of that by any means, but it just, oh, you know, just being critical. Even it, no, sort of, what I was getting at is, note. is even in that moment of melodrama, that's where the real shit really is. Mm-hmm. All aside from Giovanni. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting, man. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I, I really appreciate that. That I frankly didn't think of it. I did, it being titled Giovanni's Room, of course, gives the room almost a character like element that's and so, yeah so um sorry like luca with the island i don't know if you guys got to see i it. didn't that's see it yet it's on my list beautiful dude i was i was weeping and weeping yeah i'm sitting there just just tears out of both eyes <laughs> and gabriel turns to me and asks like a very very logistical question <laughs> Like about the film, and I, I could not answer it because I was like, yeah, "What's just happened?" Is and I wanted to like you know get into what was happening, and he of course was looking at it very literally. Yeah, and and sorry to bring up a new point as we're um, in our um, closing paragraph here. It's just part of the um, uh, comp one hundred and one. You don't do that. You don't bring up a new point in your um, closing, paragraph. closing paragraph. Yeah. And yeah. yet here, here we are. So it's called Giovanni's room a thing that I, we touched on about busting through the wall is that room is constantly under construction. It's being changed, wallpapers being taken down, things are, it's a mess, it gets cleaned, it, it, the, the windows are painted shut, they're open, they're closed. Yep. Um, so in a way, the, you know, you said that the room is given more... Um, it's like I, a character. It is, it's more of a, I, I would argue that the room is, is a more important character than Giovanni. But you can't Worthy fuck. Note. You can't Worthy fuck a note. room, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can. <laughs> I guess. You pull enough bricks out. Closing <laughs> <laughs> thoughts, Nick. Well, Daniel just went on a fucking tirade and said literally everything I was trying to say. <laughs> nice little cosignage. Um. But I, it it's one of those books that I think is it, it should be required reading for. American males, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd and it's a, that. and it's a, it's a shame that I know, I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said. It's a shame that I read it so late in life. Yeah, there's time still for you. One day, when I reach your age, 
I'll look back and say, I was young today. I was, and I, I read that book when I, I was a young man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the soundtrack for the book then. All right. Um, yeah. Which is uh, M83's Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, the 2011 double album release. So tell me something. That, that it, they are a Coldplay tribute band, right? <laughs> um, interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, he did do like before you know this gave him some commercial success. He was doing like remixes and things oh, wow. for various bands, Block Party being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is a uh, a French group, um, which is primarily one individual, uh, Gonzalez, correct? Um, but he is from France, uh, however, moves to L.A. So I, I think M83, by the time this album comes out, is is based primarily in Los Angeles. But it's, a, you know, a French electro project uh, formed in 1999. This album comes out 12 years later after he's done some of these remixes and different things for other larger groups. And this is what catapults him uh, to this commercial success. I think the title of the album uh, the fact that it listens like a, to me anyway, like a soundtrack, yep. uh, it to me was, and I didn't realize he actually intended it to be like a soundtrack. And I didn't realize that until much later after having picked it. Um, the name, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, I, you know, it's just so fitting. Um, and the, um, the, the album itself really does play like a soundtrack uh, for their lives as, as the movements throughout are almost like that of you know scene acts and scenes in 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 something of a play um and i think it aligns with the story much like a dark side of the moon wizard of oz type way um it did for me anyway you know i could listen to it while i was reading it and and these different uh songs that would come on really do seem to fit i i will say daniel to your point um i don't i would not say coldplay um, but I think it is um, lacking the the edge that I look for and and usually do like in mm-hmm. um, in music. Like even Sigaros has that edge. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a pretty, um, it, was a, it was a safe choice. It seemed this music. It. You know what? I I I I don't know if I have an answer for why I I, ju- I just thought it was fitting and I went with my gut. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. I'm just, that that was um, no. We accept it. We accept yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And plus, he was French. I no, think no, that man, actually I like put it. it over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the album too. Yeah. yeah. So I I didn't dislike it, but through the the whole time, I listened to it twice, and I was like, oh, all right, Tears for Fears is playing Coldplay style music. All right. And I, I man, Coldplay is boring as shit, and this is well, not. <laughs> <laughs> um. There was like a soundscape quality to it, so I really liked mm-hmm. that you you let me know that it, it was something of like a soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was um, a Brian Jonestown, Johnstown, Jonestown Massacre. What's the name of that band? Where they are? Brian Jonestown um, Massacre. Yeah. Yeah, they have an album called. Uh, it's in French, but it's, it's called Music for a Film Imagined. Is I think maybe the uh, English translation, and um, that's way cooler than this. But it reminded <laughs> me. It was reminding me of that. That would have uh, perhaps been the more Nick choice yeah. for, for this. Um, and I do like the Brian Jones Sound Massacre, too. Uh, thank God for Mental Illness is one of my faves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that <laughs> that's a really uh, that's a really good point. Yeah. 
Um, I gotta listen to that. I don't really know that album. Well, too just well. listen to that instead of talking about this one because I think this is this is vanilla. This is like this is the David and Hella go to America and have babies of music. Ah, I like that. I like that point though. That's that is really good. This this doesn't necessarily bring the danger that exists in the novel. Mm-mm. This is far more safe. This is the Hollywood ending, you would say. Yeah, but but it's French. But you it's know? French. So yeah. it fits that theme. Yeah. And you know, I, think, um, I agree. The, I think that's really what put me over the edge <laughs> of like landing on this. I was like, it's French. I gotta fucking I, who else? <laughs> it's the only French artist I know. <laughs> I could have chosen Daft Punk, Daniel. Come on. You should have picked Edith Piaf just to um, just to piss Nick Gregorio off. There we go. That would have been timely too, right? That's around the same era. Yeah, yeah she died in '63, maybe. Yeah, I said Edith Piaf. Yeah, you would not like it. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> the face, oh dear listener, the face. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's, she was a singer. Um. So, so, oh. but you, but you enjoyed it. Uh, you enjoyed it a little bit more, uh, Nick. Yeah, I like electro pop. I, I think these kind of things, like they're not. It's not something you're gonna sit and like, man, I really got to pour over this record. No, you're gonna enjoy yourself, and mm-hmm. it's gonna feel dramatic and uh, melodramatic, and um, you're gonna get a good hook in there. Um, it was yep. funny because they, they, uh, they do a lot of stuff that, um, like a lot of the electro pop groups that I like, like the Naked and Famous and um, Churches do. Mm. Um, in terms of like having the the actual drum kit uh, alongside um, the the yeah. programming um, that always gets me yeah and along and like the, a lot of the transitions like it's pretty clear that a lot of the bands that were operating between 2010 and today were listening to M83 and I thought that was a really cool through line because I like a lot of the bands that are operating like churches is great yeah and you know what's funny too it it might not even be that they're listening to one another that that was like a thing i think because even like i just put a bunch not to say that i'm in any realm but like i just put uh my brother and i's stuff and our second album is literally there's one song broken into six parts that runs every other song on the second album and there's little you know interlude kind of things on the first and i didn't listen to many three until years later gregorio you know, about that Gregorio, yeah. that's that's two plugs that he did. You know, when I wrote my own book, listen, and then when I, me, and my brother, we put fuckers, our stuff in on you, Spotify. You were plugging each other's books for casts and casts and casts previous listen, and after. Listen, I had to do it myself. Listen, plug it though. Any any love of mine's coming out in three weeks. Is it? Wait, is it really? Yeah, do you have it a comes pre-order out, out? In, in the end of, or, or the yeah the third week of July. Holy shit! Why don't we know this? I fucking told you. It was supposed to come out this month, but it's coming out next. Listener, we're taking... Um, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Like, yeah. you need to help me out a little bit. Listener, we're taking a break from talking about this music because, trust me, it's like... It, the music is the equivalent of a dial tone. Like, you need to... I think it's fine. Right? You know what's so funny? And I think... Talk to me I don't about know your book, man. Gonna, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but in an interview, um, uh, you know, Gonzalez, the doo-doo is M83... Um, said that he's always wanted to make a double album ever since hearing Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. He's always wanted to make this album. <laughs> and I thought Daniel is going to rip him to shreds <laughs> when he knows that the dude compared <laughs> this album to this is his this is his melancholy. This essentially. is this is the melancholy and infinite sadness that you get off of Wish. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, I'll tell you I'll tell you what, though, oh my like God. when you do line it up, 
it works so well with the book. Like, introduction, and then Midnight City. It's definitely well past midnight when they meet, right? Then we have where boats go, wait. Like, it, the, the, even the names kind of like... I actually fit. had a thought. I was like, I wonder if somebody made a like a, a modern adaptation of Giovanni's Room and you could just play this. Like, soundtrack it. Dude, yeah. I, I think it's worth a try, although... Now that this cast is out, there's no way the the world will respond in a a, a way that will please Daniel. So, <laughs> well, does it ever? <laughs> Listen, this is like, hey, he Daniel. Said a here's the thing you yeah, love. Like it. yeah. It's made just for you. What do you think about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but seriously, Mahalik, talk talk to us about your book because people don't often listen to the end of this cast. So we're gonna trick them. Stick the plug in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Plug your book. Um, yeah, it's um, it's titled uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge's seminal 1993 album made of uh, two overlapping triangles instead of just one. All right, so how can people find that <laughs> without it's, uh, Ethelzine Press? F on, on Ethelzine Press. Ethel, Ethel like like e- an old lady's name. Ethelzine Press. Yeah, nice. We'll Ethelzine put some Ethelzine Press. We'll put some links up on the um, Insta and Twitter and all the. It things. is a it is a micro chat book. Of correspondences and poems. Yeah, I'm excited for that. It's very exciting. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I'm very pumped. I'm very. Excited. Whenever I see you read poetry, I am enchanted by you. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. where your strengths truly lie. I've been saying that for a couple of years. Thank you. Yeah, I actually one of the poems I've been trying to turn into a song, and put that out like a like have music with it, mm-hmm. um, in a very much not uh, post Morrison Doors way. Cause that would suck is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it, it'll be out um, uh, mid to end of next month, July. In any case, All right, so I was trying to guilt you guys into giving me a spot there. I was just talking. Uh, Plug and shit, so back you know? to, um, back to William uh, snore snorgans album over here. <laughs> um, you're just getting meaner. <laughs> it's, it's like if Anthony you don't get Gonzalez. the reaction you want from like, oh, this is like electronic Coldplay. You're like, we get a mild laugh. And then you're later, you're just like, man, this fucking guy put me to sleep so fast. I crashed my car. I'll, I'll tell like, you what, oh dude, God. To, to be doing this from 99 to now, I, I give him props for that alone. You know what I mean? Um, I really did like the remixed Block Party album as well. I don't know. Do you guys like Block Party? I, really I love like Block Party. Party. They're really good. I love Block Party. That um, first record is like fucking. Mm. Silent Alarm is perfect. Mm. I I really believe that. I think it's absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I I was really impressed when I started digging into like what he's done, um, and you know Daniel to to your point, the fact that he does, you know keep the actual instruments alive and in there like i i don't know um oh i'm never gonna remember it now passion pit yeah Yeah. so ah that's what i wanted to talk about damn it all right nice so here we go now you can yeah so uh nick what were you gonna say about passion pit a lot of this album sounded like a lot of the, like the synth effects sounded like mouth sounds. And mm. it reminded me of Passion Pit because he makes a lot of his loops and sounds based on his extraordinarily wide range of vocal. Nice. I did not know that. 
Yeah. I absolutely did not know that. And it, this reminded this reminded me of that. Yeah, a lot of Passion Pits, um, like like synth sounds are him. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, just like speaking it or something like that. You're saying. Yeah, or, or making like or weird sounds, is humming like like squealing. Uh, it's wild. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I this my thing is I really like that Passion Pit album, Manners. Yeah, Manners um, is good. I would say that I actually like this M83 album more mm. because the Passion Pit is a little bit too saccharine, a little bit too glossy for me. Um, yeah. This actually has just that 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 hint of something else. Um, I like the Passion Pit album, you know. Don't get me wrong, but th- this that I was gonna make the comparison because this one I think does step it all up a little bit more, just artistically. Like the Passion Pit album does sound like. 10 distinct singles yeah this sounds like a cohesive album to me yeah Um, yeah i think passion pit is you know i think the whole idea behind that album was to make 10 singles you know yeah like let's get popular exactly yeah yeah and they did he and they absolutely did yeah he he knocked that one out of the park if that was his intent (laughs) and a lot of and a lot of the songs like butterfly wings or butterfly kisses can't remember that it's like a fucking amazing Tune. Dude, and that that first like huge signal uh, single uh, sleepyhead or whatever, mm. that that one I that really that caught me, dude. That was yeah, like, and it's guy. one of those things too. You remember when like you had shitty music when we were growing up, like Len and Steal My Sunshine and shit. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <laughs> that's garbage. You know, what I mean that's yeah. that's absolute garbage. Like this, when, when I think of that realm of pop electro pop kind of stuff yeah. like this actually has more weight and substance to me anyway than like a lens steal my sunshine or a, oh. a barbie girl in a barbie whatever fucking world yeah. you know that i just yeah. suck a dick i i really don't uh, i i totally it. agree but you know what i i love to do i love to go into a bar where i hear like um old white guys bitching about politics and uh, women, and then I'll just play Len on the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> and then they fucking leave. It's great. <laughs> yeah, because that, um, you know, the the, the the double stroke on the uh, woodblock there, you, you just can't get away from it. <laughs> yeah. That, that, dude, I, I fucking, every time that, that came on, I was always like, Fuck me, turn it off. It's a terrible, terrible band. Yeah, terrible. Really, like I would take Chumbawamba over that a thousand times. Well, Chumbawamba, they were like, every time I listen to them, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I should be listening to this. I think this is really dark and dangerous. <laughs> I think that was. I always thought that was some ruse that some somebody <laughs> like you know that was like shit. one of the original. They, I think they were anarchists. Was the the, yeah, the I rumor so. I heard. Yeah. Um, but again, that, you just, I think, proved the point, though, right? It was, oh, depending they, on they, where you were in the country, yeah. Chumbawamba was some really dark, satanic, yeah. whatever. They, there was some weirdo myth behind that band. And I'm and just it, like... They were really just a bunch of drunk Englishmen. Yeah, like, <laughs> which is great, too. Like, whatever. I get knocked down. You're like, fuck, if I don't get up again. And I'll tell you what, it's funny. Uh, you hear anybody hum that song or sing that song, they do it with a British accent. <laughs> you, can't not. you can't not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, be, there's not too much more, I think, to, to say about this. I thought it was a, a suitable soundtrack. I thought it went really well and it had for me a little bit more substance. And to be perfectly frank, the, 
the novel perhaps subconsciously my choice was to not outshine the novel um and have well, another you succeeded <laughs> no fear of that here Andy's back. This music was, this album was so good. We spent most of the music segment talking about other shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's not bad. I should, I should clarify that it's, it's not bad. It's just, it's just, it's just a, it's a nice spring day. Right. 68 degrees. I like that my, that I've created an expectation that this can be the bottom uh, for you. That I, that I'm that I'm this this is this is adequate. I just want to keep going <laughs> talking about this, so eventually we get Daniel to be like, "Listen, it's a nice nothing to <laughs> it's write home fucking about." Perfect. I love it. Shit it's <laughs> in the morning. It's just a standard poop. It's just. <laughs> You're glad you had it, and you can move on with your day. <laughs> exactly. It was a it was a clean getaway. Not a lot of cleanup. Just good to go. Yeah. One, one, maybe two, good, two squares. It's a, a good movement. Not a lot of wiping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of middle age crisis, right? This yeah. Is, <laughs> the mind. I didn't. Right. I didn't have to go to my uh, coffee yogurt route. Um, <laughs> let's get to the beer. <laughs> let's get to the goddamn beer. So me and Danny Boy will be drinking the Cronenberg 1664 and the Ephemerae. I've already. I'll be honest with you. Drank my 1664. Daniel, have you done that? Oh, oh yeah. Before the book segment was over. <laughs> oh, that shit is gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, that's really good. That yeah. it's it's just your like kind of standard well, blonde it's, hefe. It it's a, yeah, it's a lager and it says it's um brewed with um savoir faire on the front, which just means know how. You really yeah. you can really taste the know how. Is that what that means? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> With know-how. Um, dude, uh, they've been around since 1664. I think that's... You get, that's, some, you, you get some of that know-how. That's an astute and apt assessment. <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, it's good. I would take the... Okay, so give me the American comparison that you would take the 1664 over. Oh, I don't... That's a good... Off the... That's good. Um, yeah, dude. That's what I do. Yeah, I don't think I'd have one. It's really nice. That beer is just really nice. I think I would just go for that. So a Yards Maybe. Pale Ale is something I would take that over. Wait, you would take the Yards? I would take the sixteen sixty four over Yards. Oh, absolutely. If I saw the two, that's what I. Would. Oh, that's okay. We're well, talking threshold here. Like, what's, what would you take it over? You know. I take the sixteen sixty four Cronenberg over a lot of things. Um, for that. Style. I guess. I guess. What's the one that's like closest where you'd be like, uh, I go with the sixteen sixty four. For me, it would be the I Pale guess. Ale. If I saw them both on the list. The draft list. They're both four bucks. I go sixteen sixty four. All right. So if there was like a nice Vienna lager, say by like Double Nickel okay. Or, okay. or or some other maybe Pennsylvania brewery, they do lagers pretty well here. I'd um I don't know, I'd probably I'd drink both because <laughs> unlike David, I don't, I don't have the to question. make choices. I'm gonna have both. Yeah. Going to David. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a stereotype. It's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh what about what about you nick have you ever had the 1664 it comes in that very cool bottle uh sometimes too like a, mm-hmm. yeah I be- an old miller bottle i or think something. i have yeah i think i did and i think i had it at epcot um <laughs> <That> makes, <sense. laughs> makes sense i think in i had so it in many France. ways 
I remember enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, you're hammered at Epcot, <laughs> yeah. Epcot if you're doing anything. So, um, Listen, I hated Epcot as a boy, but as a man. Right, yeah. I, I show up there, I, get, I, start it, I start and get my basket of fish and chips and just start off with a good old pint of harp, and I, it all slides downhill pretty quick. Yeah, then you go to Germany. I got you. Um, yeah. So who should we – well, Nick, why don't you go next and you tell us about your schmoop. schmoop. Is that what it was? Is yes. It schmoop? Schmoogey. Oh, Schmoogey. Um, so, Imprint Beer Company is in Hatfield, PA. They specialize in um, dessert beers, uh, specifically one line that they call a schmoogey, which is a heavily fruited sour that is made with a fruit mash puree. Um, and it comes in, out to be this, like, crayon-colored what do you mean like by crayon stout? color? Can you give us a little more there? So, you know, like the waxy type of look that a crayon has? Okay. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's what that has. It's like this waxy, a weird finish. Yes. And it is about as thick as a stout. Um, they call it a sour. It's more tart than anything else. This one in particular um, was a variation of a beer that came out two summers ago that was a collaboration with a band called Merit, uh, one of my buddies in that band. Uh, and the original version of this was a milkshake IPA that was spectacular. Um, but they did the, the fruit, fruit puree treatment to it uh, and brought it out over the weekend, and it is terrific. So um, are these the extension of the milkshake lines? Is, is this the next step? Yeah. And does this yes, have the lactose? exactly right. The bacilli in it? Um, not all of them do. Because okay. what's Some the thickening do. agent is my question. Is it the puree? What's going on? It's so, the puree. Like you I literally, actually, like there's literally, like you can see seeds. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> I just, <laughs> there's I just literally. Looked this, literally seeds. I just looked this up and a, a smoogie is actually a style of beer. Really? Uh, yeah. So when um, 12 to 15 dudes are in love... <laughs> They, they stand around an open barrel. <laughs> if you didn't start laughing, Daniel, yourself, that's called a splooji. If splugy. you didn't start laughing yourself, I think you would have had us for a little bit longer. Well, truthfully enough, a beer like this, th- this is the type of beer that guys that like jerk off on Untapped yeah. um, love. Like they love to stand in line. They love to get this shit and share their opinions with their boys. But isn't it so, so funny? You, but let's so look you. at the let, yeah. But seriously, but also <laughs> let's look at the evolution of this. It used to be the fucking bitterest, most foot tasting IPA, double yeah. IPA, was the thing mm-hmm. that. And and as a beer drinking society, we've gone from this like. How tough can you be? How bitter and undrinkable do you like your beer? To give me the fruitiest, <laughs> thickest, like yep. splugiest thing, um, and that's the that's the hottest new dude. It's fucking it's, hilarious, man. It's what? really funny because like I, I imprint actually makes a terrific hazy IPA, but they're overshadowed overshadowed by this shit. Like mm. this is the shit that people will go they'll go buy a case of and sell it on a beer black market for triple the Do cost. Do you think it's a oh. fad or something that's here to stay? It's absolutely a okay. fad. Yeah, the milkshake IPA? 
Yeah, yeah they're absolutely a fad. Like, these are the things that like, like imprint manufactures sellouts so they make a name. So when these things do go away, and they will, people will still go to their brewery. Right. Yeah. Because they're gonna, they're gonna. I mean, that's a wild. To me, that's a wild. Just from a business perspective, strategy. Because you're gonna have to. You're relying on your creativity and inventiveness to keep uh, a hold. You know, because I, I'll tell you what. The only time I've ever been to Hatfield was to close a Clemens Markets. You know, like the, <laughs> beyond that, I've never. And when I think of Hatfield, I cannot escape the image of the pig with the chef's hat. For the meats that we bought all or, our lives or, or in the, Pennsylvania, um, the pig truck heading toward Hatfield. Yeah, the, the yellow pig truck, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into uh, something that is equally fruity, um, but perhaps a little bit more classic: uh, the Unibrow Ephemerae. Uh, this is a beer brewed with apple juice, coriander, orange peel some other natural flavors daniel you've had this before um unibrow of course uh and i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly i mean i can because i have a unibrow so um but <laughs> this is a, a brewery that's been around for just over 30 years from chablis quebec uh canada mm -hmm. and um they were they were one of these ones that was bought by one of the big wigs in i think the early aughts Oh, oh, three, oh, four, something like that. If I remember correctly, they are largely known, dear listener, if you're trying to place them for their La Fin du Mans. They have those the end of those the world labels that are very, very Lord of the Ringsy with uh, various Viking imagery or fairy, uh, elvish imagery, things like that. Uh, so hopefully that jogs your memory. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, I was mentioning to Nick uh, that the first. Um, trip I took with my partner was to Montreal and these the big guys of these were very inexpensive because around here they are um, quite a bit of money a few bucks yeah there's that one the La Fin du Monde uh, the Maldit they were the three this one the uh, Ephemeraire how do, we, how do you even say this Ephemeraire? one the Ephemeraire 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 yeah. yeah haven't said it in years have you ever had a la? Uh, how do you say it? Uh, la Mouffat de Blueberry? No. Mm -mm. I like some blue. Not anything. I just said. There's, <laughs> a few, uh, there's a few blueberries I'll get down with. Uh, let me did, let me try this. Please. Just make that up. No, it's from the office. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, this is tasty. This is this is really nice. This is, this is very tasty. Initially, the um, uh, ephemer. Uh, was giving me kind of blue moon vibes in like kind of like a bad way but oh, then it okay. qu it quickly was like no <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're like i'm a good yeah. beer yeah well i think i think I, it's the fruited wheat style yeah. i think that's what i'm yeah yeah because it is a, a belgian fruited wheat style but also like I don't know if you guys experience this. When I know that a brewery has been taken over by one of the big guys, I immediately think that I'm missing out on something and I'm trying to find, like, where's the flaw? Like, where's the shit ingredient that I can taste in this, you know? Sometimes it's just distribution. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, can we take your recipe and just make more of it? Because this is delicious. I agree. 
Yeah, it's pretty it good. Is, I mean, because it's the mix. Like, uh, apple and orange, okay, but I don't know. I would never go to a buffet and give myself a little fucking half pop of orange, half pop of apple juice. That's a weird thing. I don't even think uh-huh. children would do that. I might do <laughs> grapefruit and orange to cut that sour bite. I'm trying to I'm trying to think what this really tastes like besides itself, just to give a comparison. It definitely, I mean, it's a wheat. So if you think about like your Iingers or your Francis Connors, mm-hmm. um, and and more mainstream, a Ho Garden. Um, yeah. Hmm. Hey, watch your mouth. Oh, easy, fella. <laughs> It's where all your mothers live. <laughs> um, oh, God. That guy. Uh, hey, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with me? <laughs> if, so a hoe garden, and if you mix that with um, frambois. Yeah, you got the. Um, um, you got the old dirty hoe, right. which is way sweeter than this. Frambois is so as, you're talking about. As a nice fruited wheat beer, mm-hmm. I feel like this is. This is nice. Yeah, I think I've mentioned it a million times, but you could do the same with like uh, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, make a red ribbon with the Frambois. I black that every time you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, that, oh man, it'd be so great if one day I like had the time and I could like literally do a, a tally of how many times I've fucking said some of the things that I've said. Just I know I'm saying it over and over again. Each cast. Every, every time. <laughs> um, this, this is really delicious though. It is one of those ones where, unfortunately, actually every unibrow like this. This one is five and a half. The Le Fin du Monde is, I think, a nine. Um, a lot of them are, are higher alcohol. This one, even though it's lower, I could still have maybe one, maybe two, one, maybe two. I don't know if anybody else feels the same about these, um, but that ah, that's where I get with these these wheat guys, like. Like a 21st Amendment watermelon wheat, for instance, I could have six, maybe 20. But like <laughs> this, I can really just have one. And this is the better beer, I would argue, for sure. Uh, you can, you know, taste it. It's not a light beer, but I, I just, my bod doesn't, doesn't take well to them. I don't know why. It just doesn't, can't do too many. Or it feels like I'm choking them down. Not Take that out there. of context, Jesus Christ! Yipes! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those things. I think the more Belgian it gets, when you get into those doubles and and triples and stuff like that, that I, I just there's something there's a twang there's a, t- a twang there you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's Bel- like a Belgian triple just comes off and, and many times just straight booze. Yeah, and, and and you're like, oh my god, I, th- I feel like I'm drinking a whole bottle of liquor. And that, and but also that <laughs> the only thing that isn't booze is like that funky make your mandibles sweat situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously, which I don't care for. Um, nice. Are we ready for a rating system? Let's jump into yeah. Let's jump into a rating system, Daniel. I, I do. I need to fucking get. I a don't pen? know what more to be said about these beers other than they're delicious. I could see, frankly. That was the only thing I was going to say is Giovanni and David are probably drinking the 1664. It's the cheaper beer if they're mm-hmm. drinking anything. Probably cheap beer, cheap wine. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, the ephemera or whatever, however you pronounce it, is, uh, is 
Um blueberry. When they when they put all their money together mid book or whenever that was, right? When they have all yeah. that, that dough and they go on their little spree. That's We're not rich, news. but tomorrow we tomorrow will eat. Tomorrow we will eat. Yeah. There we go. Nice. Yeah. All right. What's the rating yeah. system? All right. Um, you're not up. Oh, here we go. All right. <laughs> this is the longest one Jesus. yet. Jesus. Jesus. Fuck. All right. Um, I don't have a pen. It's all right. I have a fucking pen. It's all right. You have to memorize it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I give the book nine out of nine. Open palmed pats on the rear, not gay, bro, to show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. So that was nine out of nine. Hold on, I gotta get it. <laughs> I, got, I got to rear. All right, so, so it's the number out of nine. Um, All right. Follow, well, I'll say it again on. for my Hold other on. ones. Let me just make sure I got this first part correct. Jesus Christ. Um, open palm, pats on the rear to show your affection. I'm done after that. Oh, you missed the part. Oh, fuck. Open palm, pats okay, so on the I'll rear. Move, I'll say it again right. for the uh, record. I give the record. Um, no, the book. Whatever. No, the, the book. I gave it oh, nine right, out of nine. Right. So you're on the record. Go for it. Yep. Yeah. Record. I give it three out of nine. Open palm, pats on the rear, not gay, bro, to show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. Affection and or, or satisfaction. satisfaction with your male friend's performance. With your, this is more than one post-it, by the way. Male performance so while you're writing this down but again and i will give oh yeah do the, do the last one not gay um and i give the uh beer the cronenberg i will give um seven out of nine and the ephemer i will also give a um actually a six out of nine open palm pats on the rear not gay bro to show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance but again not gay. <laughs> I hate it and love it so much. I, like, yeah. I, I, you can, you guys can just say open palm pats on the rear. The you don't thing. need this. No, you gotta do the whole second, thing. I just filled a goddamn post-it note, and I'm not I gonna say every it into this pen. word of this. You goddamn dickhead. I scratched that shit. I, I had a pen that was out of ink, so I scratched it into this paper, and I have to hold it to the is, sun. Were you using a, a red pen too? And that's, or is that blood on your hand, dude? Oh, I was painting today. I painted a lot. Oh, library okay. Today. Um, 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 listeners, um, thank you for listening because I'm sure a lot of you are going to be tuning right out, so you don't have to hear. It. <laughs> <laughs> I give uh, Giovanni's room certainly a nine out of nine. Open palm, pats on the rear. Not gay, bro. To show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. I give M83. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do it. I mean, you really nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm giving M83's Hurry Up, We're Dreaming a um, 5.5 out of 9. Open palm, pats on the rear. Not gay, bro. To show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. And I give the Cronenberg 
a um, surprising 7.5 out of 9, and right. the ephemerae a 6.5 out of 9, open palm, pats on the rear, not gay, bro, to show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance, but again, not gay. I just, I just want to stress that when a man touches another man's butt, it's not gay. As long. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Go for it, Nick. Get us, get us out of this. Giov- Giov- Giovanni's room gets nine out of nine. Open palm pats on the rear. Not gay, bro. To show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, that was good that was actually like a baseball yeah. sort of like call yeah. right there. Uh, um, m83 gets six out of nine open palm pats to the rear not gay bro to show your affection status or satisfaction with your male friends performance but again not gay <laughs> the last and, one is great. <laughs> i don't know what your inflection is on it but it's doing wonders for my head. yeah i'm going i'm going for like the the old timey 1935 baby and now up to bat pat the bat burrow <laughs> at the bat one of the oh, just worst continue i'm sorry yeah and i will give uh this schmoogie from imprint brewing company a eight out of nine Open palm pats on the rear, not gay, bro, to show your affection and or satisfaction with your male friend's performance. But again, not gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice timbre to your voice, my friend. Nice timbre on the end. Uh, excellent stuff. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, for, in, for indulging the podcast here. I really... Um, I really appreciate appreciate the um, <laughs> reading the book one. <laughs> so thank you for that. Cheers. <laughs> and uh, and two, um, it was it was a pleasure to talk to you about these things. Yeah, and a, a special um, honorable mention to Nick Agoria who drank a pint of gin. <laughs> I want to try one of those though. Not in conjunction with your just your statement there, but on a serious note, I'll bring you those, one. I got a couple left. Those, I'll bring you those, one. Um, I haven't ever had one. I really I saw milkshakes when they were coming out. Yeah, uh, I think didn't Tired Hands have a few really good milkshakers? That's like, Tired Hands like, has really good, but this is like they, a different yeah, thing. That's all they fucking do now. Um, but the milkshakes I really like, but this is like a different beast. This is like you're drinking fruit, like a smoothie. It's a yeah. smoothie. All right, uh, dear listener, if you're still with us, thank you very much. Enjoy the end of June and the heat that follows. Stay sexy. Viva la France. Nick, take us there, Sketch. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on the interwebs. We're on Facebook.com slash Book Record Beer Podcast. We're on Twitter at Book Record Beer and on Instagram at Book.Record.Beer. Um, we're wherever you listen to podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes. Well, just on those two places. So listen there. Um, (laughs) have a great time. Happy pride month. And we'll see you next month. Right.